this community. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. As we begin, before we read our text today, I want to just read to you the words of Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah 43, verse 18 through 19 says this, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Isaiah 43, 18 through 19. My desire today, the aim of this morning is this, that through our text, through the reading of Matthew 9, that we would have our hearts and our minds opened to awareness that goes farther beyond just our understanding. As I prepared for this week, I asked the Lord that he would do this in us today. What we desire, the things that we have been speaking about, the things that we've been studying, the things that we have been asking the Lord for, you guys, these things necessitate something so much bigger and deeper and revelatory than just an ascension to knowledge. And I know that if you're a Christian today, if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that you desire more than just knowledge, but a deep deepening within your own heart of what is true and what the Lord has done and who he is for us. And so that's my desire today, that the Lord would open up our hearts and minds to see the kingdom that Jesus has been introducing thus far throughout Matthew, that he's been teaching about that he's moved into exhibiting the characteristics from to see this kingdom from a different angle. And it's going to be nuanced, I think, this morning. And I hope to lay for you enough groundwork to, to show this to you today, that there's a different angle to see this kingdom at that Jesus is going to show us in Matthew 9. To understand that Jesus' kingdom is not only different from the kingdoms of this world, it's not only different... But Jesus' kingdom is better. It's better. It's not only different, but it's better. It's better in every aspect than any other kingdom. Which, of course, if that being true, has implications for us today. As Christians who believe that we live within the current kingdom that Jesus Christ inaugurated when he came to earth. Is that not true? So if his kingdom is better, then it has implications for our lives today, ones which we'll look at here in just a moment. I made a statement last week, a very simple statement. It was this, that Jesus is better. If you're with me, if you're with us, you'll remember me saying that. Better than what? Better than everything. Jesus is better than everything. He's better than any system. He's better than any uh, plan. He's better than any strategy. He's superior in every authority. He's better in every aspect of sufficiency and on and on and on. Jesus is better. It's a very simple statement, but yet when we run through and take it all the way to the very end, we realize how far-reaching and expansive that statement is. Jesus is better. Not because simply we want him to be better, although that might be true, but because 
From his origin, he was superior. His works, his efforts being more excellent, the result of his efforts and works being fully effective according to his plan. A couple of weeks ago, we studied on the authority of Jesus. You can go back and listen to that, hopefully for a deeper understanding of the origin of which God's authority and supremacy was given unto Jesus. Therefore, if all of that being better, if all of these ways he is supreme, who he was and what he accomplished is far superior to any who was before and to any who would come after. And as we'll look in a moment, today's text is about that which is new. It's what Jesus is going to introduce. He's going to use the words new multiple times throughout this portion of Matthew 9, just in these few verses. New, and it's the new that I want to focus on today. No more of the old system and the old kingdom's ways. But what he is doing, as I read from Isaiah as I began, is something that is new. Jesus is doing something new. The significance of this new isn't that, again, that it's simply different or previous from the others, but that it's superior and that it exceeds the former. What Jesus is introducing is not just saying, like, check out this new way of living, because it's something different, and we all like things that are new and different. But he's saying, what I'm establishing, my kingdom is superior. My kingdom is more excellent. My kingdom, the new kingdom, far exceeds that of the old. This is the essence in the Greek of the word new. But not only is it more excellent, but it's also different in that it's substance from the former. It's substance, the substance of the kingdom, the essence of the kingdom of God is different. Therefore, it is superior. And isn't this theme really what the Bible is about? As I was thinking from Genesis all the way through to the final, almost the final words in Revelation 21, where from the great throne it says, Behold, I am making all things new. And everywhere in between, the Bible, the narrative of, of Scripture, the narrative of the Gospel is new from beginning to end and in between. It's about God making things new. The Old Testament pointing and foreshadowing towards the new. The beginning of the New Testament, Jesus' ministry is the introduction of the new. And after Jesus' ascension and, and the descending of the Holy Spirit upon His people is the confirming of the new. And of course, we know at the culmination when the Lord returns, it's the final consummation of that new thing and the standard having been set forth. You see what I'm saying? From beginning to end, God is about the new. God is about the new. So sorry, I'm just trying to maybe edit and pare down here for the sake of time. As we think of this idea of new as well, I was thinking about culture and how culture is so consumed with new things. 
we're looking to constantly reinvent, rejuvenate, improve, all these different ways, and we're consumed with new. We want the new. We want that which is, you know, the newest phone, the newest whatever. We're just consumed as a culture with new. And as I was thinking about how that reflects on this nature as humanity being created in the image of God, if God is about making things new, and the history of mankind, this thread of newness being woven throughout, what a glimpse it is into the nature and the character of God that we look at humanity and we see ourselves created in Christ-likeness, also to be consumed with his idea of new. Everything's new, 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 new. So let's look at our text today. Matthew 9, verses 14 through 17. I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, You can read along on the monitors as well. It should be up there. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Father, thank you today for your word once again. We marvel at just the revelation of Jesus Christ through every word that's within Scripture. And we ask today, Lord, that you would reveal him to us. We ask, Lord, that we would be so confronted with Jesus Christ and his supremacy and his sufficiency in every way, Lord, for our life. And so change us and conform us, we pray, in the name of your Son. Amen. So very quickly, just the context Um, Thus far, we've been taking Matthew in kind of small, bite-sized pieces. Um, Last week, we looked at the verses just preceding this, of course, and what we have is Jesus in the home of Matthew. And what has preceded this is Jesus calling Matthew, and seemingly the, the setting for this conversation is still in the home of Matthew. Jesus and his disciples, we can kind of picture him sitting around the table. The picture that Matthew gives us is that he's reclining He's communing. Jesus and his disciples are communing with this group of people that are the lowest of the low within society. And you can go back and listen and stream last week as to um, the significance of that and Jesus' calling of Matthew, but the context is still the same. And so here's Jesus, and he's sitting around this table, and he's now approached in in the beginning chapter of Matthew uh, 9. Jesus is approached by the scribes. And then a few verses ago, he's approached by the Pharisees. And now here it is, there's a third group that's approaching Jesus. And it's the disciples of John the Baptist. And they're saying to Jesus, why is it that we fast all the time, but none of you fast? The Pharisees fast all the time, but none of you fast. And Jesus being Jesus answers their question with a question. Is he not? And seemingly somewhat of a conundrum, and he gives us, Three different illustrations, that of a wedding, that of a patch, and that of a wineskin. It's believed widely that the disciples of John the Baptist 
have taken on the same routine of fasting multiple times a week, not according to the law of Moses, but that which the Pharisees have put upon themselves, that, that they would fast multiple times throughout the week. And again, as we talked about last week, just the, the attempt to achieve their piety, to achieve their righteousness through legal and ritual observance of the law. And so seemingly the disciples of John the Baptist have taken the same thing upon themselves. And seeing Jesus eating and communing, they inquire as to why Jesus' disciples do not. And so he introduces the first illustration, and it's that of a wedding. And where I think we have to work on this side in the 21st century for the context of this. I think the hearers, the, the disciples of John the Baptist in that moment, they heard this illustration of the wedding and they understood. Because the wedding picture that Jesus gives to us here, it's full of, of nuance, it's, it's full of symbolism and significance for a Jewish hearer pointing to a greater truth. And he's pointing to God's covenant with Israel, his chosen and promised people that are betrothed to him. That's the picture that Jesus gives to us. And they, the, the hearers would understand that, that Israel was the bride of God, God being the bridegroom. And so here's this picture of a wedding feast. And knowing this, Jesus uses the wedding as a picture and a symbol of joy and celebration in the presence of the bridegroom, providing for them an image for the new life that his kingdom brings, one of joy and one of celebration. So to fast like a Pharisee meant to fast with longing for the day when God would once again show his favor to Israel. This is why the Pharisees would fast. There was a sense of lament, a sense of solemnity, a sense of longing for God once again to bring his favor to the nation of Israel. Therefore, the constancy of which they fasted was of the utmost importance. They're fasting like a Pharisee. Isn't that a song? We're fasting like a Pharisee. Isn't it? By Tom Petty? No, oh, no? It's a different one. It works though, doesn't it? <laughs> Listen to that. Jesus is declaring, this is what Jesus is declaring, that with his coming, with his coming, his presence being among them, that that day had arrived. The longing that the Pharisees had desired, the longing that they were looking for, Jesus is saying with this picture of the wedding feast, that day has arrived. There's no more longing that's necessary. There's no more lamenting that's necessary. There's no more solemn assembly that's required because the bridegroom is in their midst. And as well, just like last week, when we looked at Jesus' words for his desire for mercy rather than sacrifice, and the comparing and contrasting of the old covenant with the new, Jesus is saying the same thing here. It's once again a, a juxtaposition of the old with the new. But now, rather than just sacrifice or lawful obedience through sacrifice that he addresses, Jesus instead encompasses that it's all the ways of the Old Covenant. The totality of the Old Covenant, which he's saying the ways are no longer pleasing to God. 
the sacrifices, the washings, the ceremonies, the purifications, none of those things have their place within Jesus' new kingdom. Why? Because shortly, as we talked about last week, Jesus would be, and actually, as he already says in the beginning of his ministry, he was, is and will be soon the fulfillment of all of those things. So it isn't again as though the law is done away with, but the law is fulfilled through Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus is saying. The old ways of the covenant, as the Pharisees show through their fasting, were about, again, lamenting and sorrowful longing with a sense of sadness for what they hoped. But the new, the new, it's one that's filled with celebration instead of mourning. It's filled with joy and not solemnity. Anticipation rather than longing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Isaiah 61 captures this characterization, characterization I think, rather explicitly. It says this, we know the text very well. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And we know that Jesus recites this scripture at the beginning of his ministry. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give to them a headdress or a garland, some translations say, instead of ashes. Here again, the contrasting of the old and the new. To give them a headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And what is Jesus' words after having read from Isaiah 61? Today, this scripture has been fulfilled, Jesus says. What an amazing and profound statement that must have been for his years at the time. So this is the life of the new kingdom. The life of the new kingdom, one where we're crowned in beauty, anointed with gladness, and clothed in praise, as Isaiah would point to. And the reason that Jesus, in this moment, is comparing and contrasting the two covenants is because he's desiring to show, which we'll see in the next two illustrations, the incompatibility between the old and the new. The incompatibility of the ways of the old with the new kingdom. And again, don't get lost here in this illustration. Jesus is talking about Old Covenant and New Covenant. But for us today, while that is still true, the implications of the New Covenant we often refer to as new creation life. Life on this side of the cross. And that's really what we've been studying. And quite frankly, Matthew has been absolutely focused on the new as well. The new all the way from the beginning of Matthew chapter 1 up until this point, it's been about that which is new, the new covenant. So Jesus in this moment desires to show the incompatibility between the old and the new. And so he gives us two illustrations, just very quickly, and then we'll move on to the, to the, to the deeper point here this morning. Jesus is saying this, just as the new patch is not fit for the old garment nor is the new wine not fit for the old wine skin, so too is the old system of religious observance and practices unfit for the new life of Jesus' kingdom. That's the point of these two illustrations. It's incompatible one with the other. And I got stuck for a little bit here at the beginning of the week. 
I was focusing on the result. It isn't the result that Jesus is consumed with or Jesus' point. It's the fact that no one would do these things. It's not what would happen if this, if this were to be. But it's the fact that nobody would do this. Because it's just, it doesn't make sense. Why would you do this? And again, these are illustrations that can be lost on us because we don't have to shrink and put patches on clothing before you know, we use them, and nor do we use skins anymore. Although, I don't know, the viticulturist here might have some old wineskins hanging in the, in the cellar. No, okay. So we have to work a little bit at these illustrations, but this is really the point. It isn't, again, to get caught up in, in all the nuances of it, but just to understand the essence of what Jesus is saying. You can't take the old, the ways of the old, the system of the old, and bring it into the new. Hear that statement, please. We cannot live out the new ways of the kingdom through the old man. They are incompatible. So for us today, as I said earlier, the foundation of the newness within Jesus' kingdom is more than just different or unlike the others. It's that it's superior, it's dominant, it far exceeds all other kingdoms. And as its occupants, we who are occupants of the new kingdom. We're different and we're distinct, yes. But there's weight and there's force behind this idea of something that is new. If we understand it again through the lens of that which is superior, that which is greater. There's force behind it. There's power. There's emphasis behind our life. There's significance that is within which we live each and every day because of what we live in being superior, being greater. And again, not because we're better, but because Jesus is better. It doesn't have anything to do with us. It has everything to do with the origin of the life that we now live, being found in Jesus Christ, the source of this new creation life. And this is and Paul's point in 1 Corinthians and in Romans 8 and in Colossians is that we who are image bearers of the first fruit, Jesus Christ, that we continue in this better ministry now that he established on earth. That we live our life in such a way that we continue within that which he began. Turn with me, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is a, a well-known text, but I want to read it together today through this lens of newness, through this idea of, of better, of different origin, and of supreme essence. For 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is where we get the, the language of new creation from Paul writing to the Corinthians. We'll begin in verse 14, and I'll read through just a few verses to give us a little bit of a runway for it. For the love of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.14 for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. The one that's died for all is who? Jesus. One has died for all in the person of Jesus, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live 
no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. The whole language here of Paul is identification. Who do we identify with as Christians? Jesus Christ. It's the, it's the finding of our life intertwined with his work and his death and resurrection. Verse 16, so therefore from now on, because this is true, because this identification through faith is true, we regard no one according to the flesh, Paul says. We regard no one according to the old. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Can you see how this takes on so much more significance and a different perspective through this idea of new? See, before I think we've, we've been and I have been, and this was really where I feel like the Lord brought me this week, it's been so much about the creation and there's nothing wrong with that. But there's something here that God is wanting, I think, to show to us today of the new aspect. Not just the distinctness, but the otherliness. The essence of it. The transformation, the metamorphosis that's taken place. And so when Paul talks about the fact that we are new creations, simply through faith by identifying with Jesus Christ, it's so much more than just we're a little bit different than we once were. It's that everything has radically changed in our life. From the very foundation of its essence to the expression of this new life, all of it changes. All of it changes. For you today, sitting where you are, your life has been radically changed. It's otherly. And that in and of itself, as I said earlier, has so many implications of which we've been studying for how it expresses itself outwardly. What does that look like now? What does that seem like? What are the things that we value? The word that we use oftentimes, and we've used it here from the front, and you've heard it before, the word is ontological. Ontology has to do with our nature our being, our essence, the essential qualities and characteristics that make us who we are have been transformed. We've used before the analogy of a butterfly, a caterpillar to a butterfly. That's the same transformation that your life has gone through. You might remember this some months ago. We talked about what those things were, the distinctives of the life of a caterpillar, what they ate, what they saw, the perspective that a caterpillar has, and suddenly it goes through this transformation and it now feeds on something new. It sees things scientifically, physiologically. Its sight has been completely changed and its perspective is changed. That's the analogy for the Christian life. Who you are is radically, radically different because your regeneration, my regeneration, it resulted in a metamorphosis in the transformation 
not just in a change of direction, but in a physiological, spiritual physiological transformation. You have been made completely new. And let me just say again, for the sake of it, lest we become puffed up, this has nothing to do with anything you could have done on your own. This is completely a work of Jesus Christ. Why? Because I'm so special? No. Because through me, he desires to show himself to be powerful, loving, just, merciful, etc., etc. That's why he chose to do this work in my life and in your life. This is the divine nature that Peter speaks about, that we are participants in. Therefore, I believe when we begin to look and seek understanding of this reality, of the newness as it pertains to our personal life, things can suddenly take on a whole new perspective. It's not that we're different because we're Christian. It's that we're uniquely distinct because of him within us. And so I would say to each of us today within the illustration that Jesus uses, stop trying to put new patches on old ways. If this is true of who you are, whether you experience it every day or not, or every moment or not, the truthfulness is if you are in Christ, as Paul says, you are a new creation. Not you ought to act like a new creation. It's that you are a new creation. And from the essence of who you are comes the things that you desire and the ways that you act. This is so important. It's not about the creation. It's about the newness of the creation through Jesus Christ. And for us to grab a hold of this today, I believe, is to receive revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we must stop trying to put new patches on old ways. Your old things, and I put that picture up a couple of weeks ago. We walk the narrow, narrow path, and yet we want to bring all of our stuff with us. We've got a caravan of mules and pack carts loaded full of the old stuff that we're trying to navigate down this little teeny cliffside path. And the word that came at the end of that meeting that Sunday was that there are some who are carrying this big, heavy burden with you. And you're trying to walk the path. When the Lord, what he wants you to do, and this is the picture that's so beautiful and profound within the book, Little Pilgrim's Progress, is when he comes to the pinnacle, to the top of the mountain, and he's carried this bag all the way, and it suddenly falls off of him. That's a picture of regeneration, of him being made new. The old ways have passed and he's made into a new creation. This is us today. Why do we cling to the old and the former? What is it? Of the, is it comfort? Is it just knowing what is? Finding comfort in, in the regular and the routine? Why do we hold on to these things, you guys, when everything in front of us that God pr promises through Jesus Christ is so much better, so much more significant, so much greater? Let's stop focusing on the actions of the creature and instead on the origin of the newness that drives the actions. Let's, let's drill down into that. Let's, let's seek God to understand the power that's towards us, as Paul would say, who believe. The power that's towards us who believe according to the working of God's great might. And the grace that is in Jesus Christ that teaches us 
to say no to sin and ungodliness. Let's seek to understand these things, the new ways of the new kingdom, where there's life and there's grace and there's forgiveness and there's not condemnation and guilt because we keep doing the old thing over and over again. God is saying, man, it's about the new patch on the new cloth. It's about the new wine, the new ways of my kingdom into a new wineskin. You are the new wineskin. You are the new receptacle to receive and to walk out the life of the new kingdom of God. So I want to just finish with two things as I was thinking. I like to try to think practically. And I want to give two kind of broad stroke areas that I believe we struggle on the regular. And, and it's not too difficult to identify in the sense that I think if we really want to identify where we, broad sense, have such the greatest temptation to continue to live in the old rather than the new, is let's just look at the liturgies of culture. Let's look at the liturgy as just another word for the work of people, of the people. So culture has its own liturgy as well. It's got its own value system that it promotes. It's got its own, it's got its own set of ways and things that it thinks are better and superior that it's going to continually try to tell you that you ought to seek and you ought to function within. And it's our responsibility to combat those ways of culture's liturgy and to live within the cultures of the kingdom of God. And so there's two ways, and I want to give them to you today. The first one is this, the tendency to make our own way. This is how we live in the old ways of the old wineskin. We want to make our own way. There's a quote at the end of Willy Wonka. He says this, We are the music makers. We are the dreamer of dreams. We think about it. We write about it. We read about it. We read blogs and op-eds. And we look at social media postings about wanderlust and the desire to be travelers. And I was thinking about songs. Fleetwood Mac, you can go your own way. Right? We sing about it. It's the anthem of culture to make your own way, to do what you want, when you want, because it feels right, and it's what you want in that moment. What a call back into the old way of thinking, you guys. God says, leave that behind. Leave it behind. Bob Dylan, how does it feel to be on your own like a rolling stone? One of my favorite songs right now is by a guy named Chris Stapleton. He's got this song from his first album that's called Traveler. And I was thinking about it while I was putting this together. He says this, I'm just a traveler on this earth. Sure as my heart is behind the pocket of my shirt, I'll just keep rolling till I'm in the dirt because I'm a traveler. Oh, I'm a traveler. Yeah, there you go. Frank Sinatra, that's an even better one. I did it my way. You get the point though, right? This is liturgy's... This is culture's liturgy, to make your own way. Whether it's finance, whether it's future plans, whether it's a matter of provision, whether it's a matter of education, knowledge or understanding or other important aspects of life and living, all have been provided for us through the person of Jesus Christ. 
We don't have to go our own way because the way has been made for us. And the picture that I had, which if I would have taken time, I would have maybe found one online, is a picture of a freeway. And over about 50 feet off the side of a freeway is a guy in like a safari outfit with a machete. And he's over there just trying to hack his way through the bush and the bramble. And over here, we're just walking down the freeway that's already been paved. The way has been made clear. That's the life of a Christian. On the one, the way of the old, to make your own way is an effort in futility. In the sense of like, what does it lead to? It leads to wanderlust. You guys all know what that is, right? That's such a young, maybe like younger than my generation thing. It's just this like, I'm just out there. I'm experiencing life. I'm going where I want to know. Now we have like hashtag campaigns and people take all these pictures all over the world trying to show how they're just living this life of wanderlust. But the Christian life, the Christian life, the culture of Christian liturgy is not that we make our own way. It's that the way has been made for us. Therefore, the effort to make your own way, the things that are needed to make your own way, the desire, it's all in Christ Jesus has been accounted for. And how much of a better way, as I've been saying thus far, a better and more truer way has been made for the Christian life. And all we have to do is by faith enter into it. And as we enter into it by faith, we receive the divine ability, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to live within it. This is where the Christian life has been placed, on a way that has already been made. And can I just say this? This goes for our children as well. And I think this is another kind of secondary or tertiary cultural liturgy. For some Christians, we believe this for ourselves, but we don't believe it for our kids. And therefore, we want to make a way for our kids when God has provided a way for our children just as he's provided it for us. And we just have to live within that faith sphere once again. The ways of the new kingdom are to follow, not blindly, but by faith and assurance in what he promises to us. To walk the path that has already been made for us through the person of Jesus Christ. Is it narrow? Yes, it is. Is it difficult? Yes, it is. Sometimes it will. But it's been traversed on our behalf. And we know that it ends in glory. The other does not. The second is this. So if the first old way of a wineskin is to make our own way, the second is this, to have the final word. Boy, do we want to have the final word. This is such an old way, you guys, that we have to leave behind. There is a, you guys all know the show Admin, Madmen. Sorry. You all know the show Admin? Wait, did I just sound old? All you young kids like that show Admin. Don Draper. You guys remember the character of Don Draper? If you ever see the show, he's this like super slick, kind of 1950s, 1960s Admin. And he says this if you don't like the subject, change the conversation. This whole idea within culture that if you don't like it, just change it. If it doesn't resound with you, then change it and make it the conversation that you want it to be. Because we make our own way, do we not? Now we get also have the final say. That's what we want. When it comes to matters of or on authority, we want to be it. 
when something crosses our grain in the old kingdom, what do we do? We cut it off or we tune it out. We dispense of it. Culture, I think, has crafted this vision of utopia where each of us live in our own little mini biodome, where, where we are the ultimate freedom, where we are the ultimate say, where we define our environment and we maintain our environment through the filters that we create. But the problem is, is that we all live in these little biodomes and they bump up against each other. They get scuffed and they get cracked and it's not realistic. And the next thing you know, your little biodome cuts me off and you've just cut in front and cut across the grain of what I'm wanting in that moment. It's not realistic to think that this is the way that it can be. But this is the voice of what the present age says can be and ought to be. And all the while, the voice of the king of this present evil age, the cunning one, the great deceiver, the one who has been at work within this world since the dawning of creation, he's whispering in our ear as we look for the final word, did God actually say? Those are the words that the serpent whispers in the ear of Eve at the fall of creation. Did God actually say? That question, that lie has perpetuated for centuries on. And it still is being asked today. We're being challenged in our thinking to renounce the authority of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to put our place, ourselves in a place of authority. Did God actually say? Did God actually say that you ought not to do this? I don't know, did he? That's the question that we're being asked. That's the lie that we're being asked. It's an issue of lordship. Who's the Lord of our life? The old kingdom? We're the Lord. In the old way, we're the Lord. But in the new, in the kingdom of Christ Jesus, it's a life that's lived in service to the king, the ruling one, the one whom we give our allegiance to, not because he demands it, but because it belongs to him. Jesus ransomed our life. He bought it back from the deceiver of the present evil age, from the ruler of the present culture with a payment of sacrifice, the perfect payment of himself. Therefore, as those who were living outside the kingdom, living in squalor, looking up at this beautiful walls of this beautiful kingdom and wishing that we were brought in through the payment of the king, he brings us into his kingdom and he lavishes us with good things, with food, with identity, with care. He feeds us and he gives us loving lordship. Would we not then, in light of that, having been brought into such a kingdom, would it not be a pleasure for us to give ourselves unto the Lord? To submit to him in such a way, it's a matter of lordship. You guys, this is new creation life. This is what it means to live as the new creation. And so our challenge today is to live as one who is new. Not one who's different. Don't concentrate on the differences. Concentrate on the source of the newness of your life. May the Lord Jesus Christ give us the grace to live in such a way. Would you stand with me, please? Father, it is a work of grace. It is a work of revelation. It's, Father, a, a work of 
of you and you alone. And Father, we know that the futility of our hands leads to futile results. And Lord, we ask today, Father, that you would give us the grace to live as though who have been those who have been made new by the power of your spirit that resides within us. Lord, we thank you today. Yes, thank you, Lord. So as Matt was teaching, I was sitting there thinking, so what is the key, what is the key to living out this new creation life? And it's a very simple answer with a very, very difficult, in one sense, reality. It takes a revelation. You have to see that you were once dead and now you were alive. You've got to believe by grace that you've been raised to newness of life. That you're, you and I were just like Lazarus, bound and dead, laying in a tomb, and then by the grace of God we've been brought out. And now we're seeing the world in a completely different way. And I'm no longer going to relate to my family the way that I did. I'm no longer going to relate to the world around me the way that I did. I can't relate to my job the way that I did. Whatever Lazarus was doing, he's going to do it in a new way. Because he was now, he's now alive and he was once dead. And there's no way that you can know that except by God giving you the ability through faith in a revelation to see it and know that it's true. You can't, like Matt said, you can't make it happen. And Paul cries out in Romans 6. He says, if you've been baptized, know that this is true of you. That's what you were proclaiming when in baptism, that you've been raised to newness of life. And by the grace of God, may we walk in it. Father, thank you. We thank you, Lord. And we are at your mercy again this morning to say to you, Lord, that we cannot even experience these things except by grace that you would make them known to us in our hearts. But we pray they would not go into our one ear and out the other. We pray they would settle in our hearts, Lord, and they would settle into us, and by faith we would know that they're true. I pray for anybody that's here today that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ, that you're still trying to make your own way and you want to have the final say in your life, that God would give you grace to see that it is, in fact, futility. Oh, yeah, you can have great experiences, happy, fun, fun times. But ultimately, there's more to life than those things. God's been faithful in my life since 1975, and he continues to be faithful. He was faithful before I knew him, but I didn't know it till then. May you walk in the newness of life, and may you know the faithfulness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week. Have a great day. And uh, enjoy your time today.